Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. So let's turn to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through to 41. And the usher is just going to continue to walk around and pass those baskets out to receive your offerings. Uh, it's entitled in my Bible as the parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Good morning, church. Great to see everyone. Thank you, my bearded brothers. Uh, Nathan Buckley says thank you. Uh, Great to see everyone. My name's Ray Gunton. I'm hiding under here as well. There's a few of us. Alex is growing one. Amen. Jesus had one. Come on, guys, get on board. You can't grow one. That's not my fault. Don't hate me. Stop screaming at me today. Don't all yell at once. Oh, tough crowd. Absolutely. Every time he wears that blue jacket, I see the, um, what's that movie that's become very popular? The Great Showman. Absolutely. Handsome fellow that he is. Hallelujah. Well, great to see you all here today. Uh, It is my task to continue on what the Lord's been doing in the service and uh, to continue on with what Pastor Luke has spoken about of our series on being uh, the, not the Illuminati, but illuminated and sharing the Great Commission. Let's just quickly pray. Would you uh, pray with me? Heavenly Father, we desire to glorify your name as we study and look to your word today. May we come as humble servants as children before a loving Heavenly Father. May we um, 
be led and guided and taught by your spirit as we look into the truths of your word. And I pray that we'd be changed and that your spirit would have its way in our hearts and in the service. We ask and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, again, we're highlighting mission today, week two, uh, part two of a four-week series. Something that we want to obviously continue uh, all the time, where to be a church that is on mission. Now, if you look at the etymology of the word mission, it means an important assignment given to a person or a group of people. Well, Jesus has given us the great co-mission. And the word co means, um, forgive me for breaking it right down, it means together, with, or to join. As Pastor Luke preached last week, this idea of Jesus being the light of the world, light that brings beauty. Nothing better is it than going up in the Dandenongs and overlooking the city of Melbourne. It looks beautiful. Just about all cities, regardless of how they look in the light, in the, in the daytime, look, look pretty from an aeroplane at night when you look down. When we lived in Africa for seven years, lived in Zambia, a city of Ndola, uh, listed as one of the top ten most impoverished nations of the world. I remember I had a friend, a guest speaker, come to minister for us there, and as he flew in in an evening, he said, this is the most spectacular city I've ever seen in all of my life. Uh, and then when we woke the next day and we went through the villages and the townships, um, he changed his mind. He saw the real struggle and the difficulties that many people had to live in and with. And, but light does bring beauty. Light also brings security. When we lived in Africa, our house, not only did we, uh, were we fortified, if you like, not by people, we couldn't afford that, but we had a uh, an eight-foot brick wall with broken beer bottles uh, as our um, capping, if you like, um, and that would stop people, hopefully, climbing uh, into our house, into our yard. Our windows all had um, reinforced metal, um, steel, um, so it was a bit like a prison, but it was um, you got used to it. They tried to decorate it and do little curly things on the metal, a little bit different than the ones that we have where I work, but... Um, um, but, but it was similar. Um, but we had around our house lights. Uh, these lights were on all night uh, and that the light provided security. Jesus, the light of the world, as Pastor Luke preached last week, the great mission of the church, the co-mission, he just doesn't leave us alone. By his spirit, he's with us. Uh, he goes with us and he says to us, you are to take the light and go into all the world. Hallelujah. We're not alone in this, but it is the mission that we're all to be involved in. And I thank God, I don't know about you guys, but I thank God that our church, uh, led by our pastor, is on mission. It, 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 you know, the fleshly part of me is a little bit um, vexed, if you like, by the fact that he's always challenging us on mission because we live busy lives. But I'm very grateful because that is exactly what we need to be on, mission, all the time. Amen. So um, we're not a perfect church. Um, Wayne's here. Um, but um, but we, we, we don't look for a perfect church. We, uh... Jeez, Wayne. Uh, love you, Wayne. Wayne knows that. Love him. Um, but we're on the Great Commission. 
The Great Commission, we know the book of Matthew ends, doesn't it, with what is typically, you know, coined as being the, the great charge of the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all the nations. Go into all the world. It's interesting when you look at that in the original Greek, the actual rendering of that go into all the world is not so much of a demand as it is simply supposed to be a natural outflow of the way we live our life. The Greek rendering is not go into all the world, but simply as you go. So as you go to 7-Eleven today to get your dollar slushy, be a witness. As you go to the milk bar, as you go to work, as you go to Bunnings, as you go to Hungry Jack's, whatever you do, as you go to Nigeria, wherever you go, be light, be salt, be my witness. Amen. And we come to our text today, the text that I've chosen to speak about, another aspect of mission, and that's the aspect of our what we are wanting to, uh, I guess, display to our community uh, through the food van, uh, through the breakfast club at Officer Secondary, through what we've heard about today with um, Mercedes uh, and her involvement in 11, not, not 7-Eleven, 1188. <laughs> uh, and, and these, uh, the, the care packs here for the kids, I want to, from the scripture today, unpack, show the importance of this. And I want, I want to say this is, for me, naturally not the church background that I've come from but one that as I lived in Africa and as I, um, I guess, removed myself from any denominational thinking or setting, see this more and more clearly as absolutely God's heart as a part of discipleship. So our text is obviously Luke chapter 10. Uh, just for those that study the scripture, uh, the book of Luke, the first eight chapters reveal who Jesus is. If you move... You know, chronologically, from chapter 9 through to chapter 18, we see discipleship beginning to flow in the Gospel of Luke on what it looks like to follow Jesus. Chapter 10 of Luke, the chapter that we're in today, really highlights uh, what, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Now, I break it down into three S's. Um, I, I, the sending where the 72, or if some of your translations say 70, depends if it's Greek or Hebrew. Greek says 72. Hebrew versions of the text say 70. Um, 72, let's go 70. And the other two, one is you, one is me. There's 72. The 72 are being sent out. So the first 24 verses deal with the sending. The text that we read from verse 25 through to 37 deal with the serving and the last component, Mary and Martha, verse uh, 38 through to 42, deal with the seeing. So this is the package of discipleship in one chapter. I appreciate the fact. And I'll highlight this, the, the sending of the gospel to preach the clear-cut, uh, uh, unrepentant, uh, bold declaring that Jesus is Lord of all. Um, that we are all dead in sin, all humanity in need of a saviour. God came in the form of a man, 
Jesus Christ to save us. Preach the message. Amen? Happy with that? Yeah? Uh, the next part is the serving aspect of discipleship, which is the parable of the Good Samaritan, which we're going to dig into in a minute. And then we have the scene where you've got two sisters, Mary and Martha, they're fighting each other over who should be helping in the kitchen or who should be sitting at the feet of Jesus. This is what I call, that happens in every church, and maybe you struggle with it, maybe you're frustrated with it, this is what I call gift projection. Gift projection is in a congregation where, where somebody feels that their involvement in ministry or part of ministry is more important than every other part. Have you ever seen this? This is where the prayer person thinks everyone should be praying more. I'm praying more, you know. Or the preaching guy thinks everyone should be preaching more, or be in the word. You've got the word people. People, they don't know their Bibles anymore. Not like, you know. Angry, always frustrated. And then you've got the serving people. How come they're not out there? They always put their head in the book, but they're not out doing the work, mate. Not out doing the real stuff. Get real. If you really love God, you'd be out there in the. Just settle down. Just relax. Just relax. Give projection. We need all of it. Yeah? We need it all. Don't think that your gift, your ministry, your passion is the one that we all need to be passionate about. We're all made up of the body. We're not all eyes. We're not all toes. Thank the Lord. We're not all armpits. gift projection. So I see in this chapter, just from my basic reading, ascending, a serving, and a seeing. That seeing part, gift projection, become very important when I come to the last point of the message. So let's get straight into it, shall we? <clears throat> now you, you, you'll be blessed to know I only have brought two pages today for my notes. And I usually bring one. So, uh, <coughs> uh, no, no. I've been warned and I'll be on good behaviour. We'll get through it. Um, let's go. Firstly, I want to look four points if you're taking notes. The demand, the dimensions, the dynamic, and then display. Firstly, let's consider the demand. Before we get to the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is an amazing story, isn't it? So well known, people speak it, people share it. You would think that it was actually recorded, wouldn't you, in all four Gospels, when in fact Luke is the only one that records this story, the parable of the Good Samaritan. No other Gospel makes mention of this parable, of this story, but Luke. And here it is, before we get to the story, it really begins with a conversation, doesn't it? with what is called a lawyer, a man who is known as a lawyer, stands up to put Jesus to the test. Now, this lawyer is not a civil lawyer. This is a religious scholar. He is a, uh, an expert in the law. He's a man that has devoted himself to simply study scripture, a theological expert. Now, he probably has concerns over Jesus's progressive theology. He Jesus was spending time with too many undesirable people, the commoners, 
He seemed to be different than all of the other religious people, all of the other you know, uh, leaders and teachers of, of, of truth. He didn't behave like they did. So in order to perhaps check Jesus' orthodoxy, he asks him a question, and the question he says is, what shall I do to have eternal life? That's a great question. What is the meaning of life? How do I inherit eternal life? And he asks this question, and it's a test. Now, Jesus wisely responds to this question with another question. And he says to him, you know the law, what's written in it, how do you read it? Jesus, not to shut this guy down, he plays into this man's game, if you like, because he wants to get to the heart of the issue, this question of eternal life. Perhaps he expected Jesus to say, do whatever you want, mate. Who really cares? It's all about love, love, love. Just eternal life, just love everyone. Maybe he expected someone to say, it doesn't really matter, God will accept anyone. But Jesus answers the question with a question and he says, what's written in the law? How do you read it? Now the law, as it speaks here, it speaks of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. In the Torah, there were 613 commands or laws, but all rabbis believed that all of the law could simply be summed up as it's found, if you like, in Exodus 20, in the Ten Commandments, first six dealing with God, last four dealing with man, and that is simply this, love God and love others. That's his response. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. This is the answer that this theological expert, this teacher of the law gives. And Jesus, when he says that, he says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Love God with all of your heart, all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. It was um, the, the bishop, archbishop, in fact, um, William Temple, uh, the, the old English, uh, the Church of England, who said, your religion will always be displayed by what you do in your solidarity, or sorry, in your solitude. Your religion will be displayed by what you do in your solitude. In other words... When the pressures of life are off and stop, when you just have time to relax and just be, be yourself, just, ah, no more pressure, I'm just chilling out. Wherever your mind goes, whatever feels your heart, that is your faith. How we all feeling now? UFC fight on this afternoon. Love God with all of your mind. Every waking moment when there's nothing else pressing, but even that, love God with all of your soul, every part of you. Let it be infused by love for him with all of your strength. Everything you do, all of your strength, love God with it. 
How are we all feeling today? And then love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, love your neighbor with the same uh, strength, the same effort, the same power, with the same, if you like, unction that you would give to yourself. Don't love others for yourself, but love others with the same, the same love. Look, when, when you come tenth in a race and they come first, you, you love them and celebrate their first place just like you celebrate the blues coming last place. I don't talk about the footy anymore. Fair enough, I've got nothing to say. Love others. This is the heart of the law. Notice that when Jesus says this, this guy, it says, and this is the key verse, isn't it? Verse 29, where it says, and he desiring to justify. The word justify means to make right. He, this lawyer, wanting to make himself somehow look right, says, who is my neighbour? You know why he said that? Because he was on to something, and that is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbour, not for yourself, but as yourself, is something that is absolutely impossible for all of us to do. We all fail miserably. Can anyone say amen to that? We can't do it. We might as well give up now. We might as well quit now. Because we just can't do those things. Because we are sinful. We are all inherently selfish. We are inherently self-righteous. And we can't love like that. And he says to justify himself, verse 29, who is my neighbor? In other words, Jesus, minimalize this for me. Make it clear so that I can somehow fit that category. And this is where Jesus, let's move. Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And he tells us that the hero of the story is a person who meets human needs through deeds. Which is what we have happening here today. Meeting human needs through deeds. And what the good Samaritan does, what this man does, the hero in the story, is incredibly costly, it is sacrificial, and it is potentially incredibly dangerous. He meets this guy who is half dead on the side of the road. He meets his emotional needs, his financial needs, his accommodation needs, his transportation needs, his physical needs, his emotional friendship needs. He meets his, all of them. It's, it's what we would call today this holistic approach where the care that this hero offers to this dead guy on the side of the road is, is amazing. But remember what the, the, the story is connected to. Remember the question that this great story that is used so liberally today is a powerful story. It is a powerful story. But remember what that story is actually connected to. And it's this. 
what does it really mean to love my neighbour? And a Samaritan is loving potentially a Jew, a teacher. These are are people that are diabolically, religiously, culturally uh, at odds with each other, hate one another. As one of the most hateful things they could say to Jesus uh, in John 8, after he, he, he had loved the woman who caught in the act of adultery, they said, you are a Samaritan. Be like me saying, you are a St Kilda supporter. <laughs> Come on, somebody. This is it's much worse. I'm trying to evoke your heart to what's going on here when, when this, this, the hero of the story is this Samaritan, the most despised, hated by the Jews. And they, they both hated each other equally as, as passionately. What does it mean to love your neighbour? It means meet the needs of people, even if they don't believe what you believe in. Meet the needs of somebody that you would ordinarily despise, people that you do not naturally like, people that, don't, don't, that you don't really like, and meet their needs with generous love. That the outcome, we pray, we hope that they will be so overwhelmed by that generosity that they will want to know the gospel to make sense of that service. Are you with me? But to be a disciple is to radically proclaim, but equally as powerful, because it's right here, is to humbly serve people that we don't actually care ultimately whether right then and there, if they believe or not, it's not about them, it's about us displaying God's goodness. As Pastor Luke said last week, not seeing people as a project in order to get them into the church. Oh, Lord, help us. If this community simply becomes a project to get us into a school hall, I'm not interested. Seeing people as people, as dead on the side of the road, and simply loving them, Because that's what he commands us to do. Again, Elder Ray said it on the screen. Matthew 25 is the text where the text says, when Jesus, the great judgment at the end of time, he's separating the sheep from the goats. And he said, you know how we'll do the separation? Where there's this great group of people that all say, I'm a believer. He says, you know how I'll be able to separate the sheep from the goats? Is it when you did these acts of kindness, when you visited me in prison, when you fed me, when you clothed me, when you cared for me, when you gave me a cup of water, and they say, when do we do this? And Jesus said, when you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Acts of service are not the things that... that, that make us saved. Don't, don't get me wrong. This is not how we earn salvation. They are signs that you have experienced true salvation. It doesn't give you life. But it is a, a genuine expression that you have life. 
what is the dimensions of this? And I move quickly. The dimension, because we would like, like the lawyer, to limit this act of service and love. We are often happy to give to something that we know will give back. If you've been a recipient of God's goodness and grace in this church, you will happily come and serve and give in this church because you've already received benefits from being a part of such a ministry. We are called to give and serve sometimes when we don't even see the benefit. You know, if, if we only give to, to people, I'll give to them because their house burnt down, but those other people, uh, they have all their electronic devices on all night and that's why the electricity builds up, so I'm not going to help them because it's their own fault. Turn your computer off, mate. No. No. We need to be wise, but church, if God, Jesus, decided for us to be perfect and good and right before he came to serve us, he wouldn't have come. If he waited for the perfect opportunity, there wouldn't be any scamming or scheming or games in our hearts before he said, oh, now the people are at least, you know, responding to me, so I'll come to earth. If he had waited for that time, he would never have come. Let's not wait for the perfect people and the perfect opportunity and the perfect... Let's just be liberal. Let's just give, even though people might be playing games and trying to beat trickery and, oh, he had 17 hamburgers. Let's give him 18 hamburgers. It's not good for your cholesterol, mate. <laughs> Let's just be generous. In Africa, we'd have beggars that would come to our door every day more that we would give them, the more they'd tell their friends and more people would come. <laughs> I, I remember, you, you know, the stories are true. This guy would sit on the side of the road and face covered like he was blind and I sat there and watched him one day and, you know, he got up and walked in a straight line. Clearly he wasn't blind, you know. But my wife and I, we came to a place that we, we weren't giving necessarily... You know, just for them, knowing that we would be tricked from time to time. But because God had given us so much. Now, the religious guys, the Pharisee and the Levite, when they saw this man half dead on the side of the road, what did they do? It says they crossed over to the other side. You know why they did that? Because they were smart. if he wasn't fully dead, just half dead, it probably meant that the robbers weren't too far away. And if you went there and helped, you'd be the next one jumped. So stay away, keep moving, preserve life. So when the Samaritan stopped, it could have been fatal for him. He risked absolutely everything. And then he said, doesn't he, in verse 35, if it costs any more, I will come back. He's two denarii, two days wage, love a labourer, but if it costs any more, I'll come and I'll, I will pay more. Amen. Here's a question. How do you get anyone to live like that? Well, it, there's two ways. As we move on, and this is the dynamic we need, and I'm nearly closing. 
How do you get anyone to live like that? Number one, we make you feel guilty. <laughs> we look for a group, religious, moral people, show them the need, make you all feel bad enough, and ask you to give. Help us with these packs. Go to the trivia night. Come down to the food van. But guess what? You will burn out. You'll burn out. You, perhaps, like me, have been to church before. This is not our first rodeo. <laughs> I'm coming to church, but I'm not getting involved. I've loved. I've got ripped off. Sit here with arms crossed. If you are hurting today, you rest up. You just take it in. Allow what I'm going to say in a moment to fill your heart and re-energize your soul. But can I say, if you're here and you're just sitting, get off your backside. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Stop wasting your life and your gift. Get involved. Here's the dynamic. We either make you feel guilty, doesn't work, or you see the story for what it is. And the key to the story is where Jesus places the lawyer, I believe, in the parable. And that is, he puts the most despised man on the saddle. The Samaritan's on the saddle, and it is he that is half dead in the ditch. Religion walks right on by. And Jesus says to this guy, who do you reckon is really the neighbour? When you are, you, you are holding on to your last breath and you see the person whom you hate and despise the most who doesn't owe you anything. What is your only hope? Your only hope is an act of free grace from an enemy who doesn't owe you anything. Amen? And only if that happens to you can you see everyone differently. Church, we are the one that is half dead. And God who did not owe us anything, came. It was a borrowed room. It was a borrowed tomb. It was a borrowed donkey. Everything in his last moments, because he paid, he'd spent it all. Jesus didn't risk his life. Jesus gave his life to forgive, to save, to reach down and love us. Amen. And church, what we need is that dynamic to be re-exploding in our hearts like, like fire, pistons in a car, reigniting an engine, little explosions of, of, of that truth dawning on our hearts afresh 
when we pray, when we praise, when we read, when we fellowship, may our hearts be filled with that story when we see that he was the wonderful neighbour, saviour to us. What does this mean? What will we do? Well, this will do, and I pray this is what will be the outcome, is that we will then re-neighbour others. See, the, 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 the Levite and the priest looked and they crossed to the other side. When our hearts are recaptivated by the gospel, we were dead in our sins, could not save ourselves, desperate and wicked, were saved by Jesus. When that is freshly reignited in our heart and in our soul, personally, when we go out from this place in our four-wheeled donkeys, that we don't cross to the other side, but that we, church, we see it, we stop, we think, and then we get our hands dirty. Are you with me, church? I'm closing. It's a good time to say, amen, round it up. Ray, round it up. Just say amen for that. All right, you want me to go longer? That's okay, I will. I'll preach on this side. Uh, And you know what? To to be engaged, that's actually the, the hardest thing. The hardest thing. The benefit, the blessing of our church is that we are already engaged in the coalface of ministries of those that are, if you like, half dead in society where we have the opportunity to be sent but also to serve. The two aspects of discipleship, mainly ministry, are looking for more servants. Mainly music. What do I call it? Ministries? Yeah. Yeah. Mainly music. Bless collective. We're always needing more volunteers. In other words, there's already a great opportunity for you to jump into service because these great facilitators of serving our community is there. Church, did you know the last census, 2016, here in Cardinia, there are 18 people living below the poverty line in Cardinia? 18%. Socially, Educationally, employment, financially, home life, 18% of our community living below the poverty line. Do you see yourself in that percentage? If you do, come and see Pastor Luke. We'll help you. Come and see me. I would think most of us live above that line. So you know what that means? If we leave church today in our four-wheeled donkeys, drive home, drop the garage door and go about our business, go to work, eat our Peter's ice cream tonight, you know what we are? We are the Levite and the priest. That's all we are. Because there's a world out there that's dying, needing our acts of service and a message of hope. Can you say amen? amen? May this be deep in our hearts. Amen. Let's, let's pray.
Amen. Hallelujah. Father, thank you so much for your incredible word that challenges us. May we not just be pew sitters, um, consumers, but all commuters. Help us to see those that are around us that are in need. I pray for those today that are um, wounded themselves, that are broken. Lord Jesus, may we afresh today see that you have given us your oil, your Holy Spirit, wine, a picture of your blood, so that we today could be the most, most free people, planet Earth. Thank you that the greatest need of men we already have, and that's you. So no matter what is going on in our life, we have that which is the greatest part of life. May we find contentment in that and go out and serve like this good Samaritan to those around us. Jesus, you are the great Samaritan. Stir us to be on mission as a church wherever we are as we go may we proclaim it verbally unashamedly but I thank you for this Lord that so challenges my heart that we go out and just do acts of kindness whether people believe or not just because that's how much you love them and you have loved us. Set our hearts afire today. Set fresh blazes in our soul to be re-engaged. Maybe not just walk out of this place going about our own business, but put our hand to the plough and be involved, Lord, in your business. May we get involved in the Good Samaritan ministries, as it were, that we have in this church. Help us. I pray and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you today, church.